You know, a lot of things over the last year made me very thankful for where I live. Smaller community, you know, a lot of the stuff that you would feel a much harder impact in more populated areas. We came through pretty clean on a lot of those things and very glad of that. But not only on that level, but also on a federal level, too. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we had. We've done a lot of squawking over the last year or so about how our freedoms were infringed upon in this place or that place. We are thankful for the process even of our courts. I know I mean, our church didn't have to go to court or anything, but I know others had to to try to maintain some of our freedoms at a time when they were telling us that it was okay to go out and protest, but it wasn't okay to assemble to worship. And I'm thankful for a place that sometimes when the, even the government starts to overreach and tell you what you can and can't do in some areas, the courts kind of step in and say, well, you really don't have the authority to tell them they can't do that. And so I've been thankful for that, too. You know, we really missed the fireworks. A couple of years ago, we missed them because we were in the midst of traveling. Last year, they were canceled because of the COVID. So we missed them that time. And so we're really itching to get out and see some tonight. It's always a high point of our Fourth of July celebration. A lot of times on the first, we'll go up and put the boat in up at Rainy Lake and float around and watch the Canadian fireworks. And we thought, well, maybe we'd do that. But then we realized, well, Canada still wasn't doing it because they're still closed down for their lockdown things from a COVID. And I don't know if they have a high rate up there or what, what all the deal is. I haven't paid a lot of attention to it. But I was talking to somebody that is from there recently, or I actually talked to somebody that, who talked to somebody, so it's kind of third hand. But, but he was saying that he was walking his dog and got asked where he lived, and they told him where he lived. He told him he had to get back on his own block. You can walk your dog in Canada. You can only walk on your block, apparently. Some of the other restrictions, you're not allowed to be in your boat by yourself out on a lake in Canada. And I didn't even realize they have restrictions on going like between their provinces. And you know what? It just made me glad for our country and the liberties and the freedoms. I was talking to a pastor that pastors a church in Canada. They've been having church, but they're very limited on how many people they can have in there. And he says, we follow it to a T. If you end up with too many cars out front, somebody's going to call because he said, you know, in Canada, you don't have the concept of civil liberties like you have in the U.S., the U.S. were like, oh, no, you don't tell me I can or can't do that. He said, Canada, they don't have that. They don't have a constitution that, that declares that. Well, it made me very grateful for the freedoms that we get in this nation and that are written right into our constitution and that are there because our forefathers recognize that these are things that come to us innately because we are created in God's image and what God created us to be. Okay, if you'd like to uh, take your Bibles out, let's uh, turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to be considering our nation as we look actually at the events that occurred within another nation. So Moses is uh, about to go home to be with the Lord. Israel is going to go into the promised land. But before they do, Moses gives them these sermons based on the law of God to send them into the promised land so they would be well equipped for what God wanted them to be as a nation as he would bless them. And so in chapter 4, It says in verse 1, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care 
And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear the words of my mouth, so they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that this, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me that at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. These people, as they're going into this promised land that God had promised them and actually led them up to the very border of it some 40 years before, this time as they go in, they are going to be obedient and enter into the promised land. And God wants them to be ready to fulfill all that He wants them to do. He wants them to receive the blessing that was promised to Abraham. But the problem is, is if uh, they go in, as He warns them at, an, at other points in this same book, if they go in and participate in the same behaviors that the people before them participated in, the land will actually vomit them out. God will drive them out of that land as He had driven out the people that were before them or, or He was about to drive out the people that were before them. And so God in His determination to bless them on behalf of Abraham and His covenant with Abraham recognized that this blessing would only be received if they would live according to these principles, according to these rules. When we think about the founding of our nation, we have received a lot of blessings at the hand of God. We have a glorious history. But we're a young nation. But we're a nation that's seen a lot of blessings. We left the most powerful nation of one century to become the most powerful nation in the next century. We started off as a bunch of people striving to find religious liberties and a better future families. And we've become the nation that every other nation looks to in terms of financial help and aid, that many nations look to in terms of security and safety. Our nation has become the greatest nation in the world in a short amount of time. And I don't think that that happened by accident, nor do I think that it happened because of our genius. Other than this, that our founding fathers, the genius of them was to recognize that they needed the grace of God. And the genius of them was to recognize that if we were going to be blessed by God, we were going to have to honor him in the founding and in the running of our nation. What they were recognizing that we needed was an independence, but it was an independence that was established upon dependence. In fact, that's what I've labeled it here for us this morning is a dependent independence. Our independence would not be what it is today if our forefathers were not solidly entrenched in the foundation of the Word of God. They depended on it. They depended on it individually. They depended on it for the founding of our nation. We see that in many of the statements that they've made. James Madison, who's our fourth president, he said, We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves. We're running this, this experiment, the American experiment. He says, We've staked everything. Everything rides on this one thing. Will we be able to govern ourselves? We've got to self-govern. We've got to recognize what are our responsibilities and own up to our responsibilities. You see, their concept of freedom wasn't the freedom to just do whatever you wanted. It was this freedom recognized that this, that this independence was dependent upon our ability to govern ourselves responsibly. Then notice in the very last line of what he says, we see what he lays as the foundation of that ability to govern ourselves. He says it's to, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. 
Here lies of the 55 of our founding fathers. 52 of them were Christians. And uh, 23 of those were pastors. Many of them trained in seminaries. I remember I had somebody tell me one time or challenge the fact. They said, the United States is not a Christian nation. Never has been. I said, I just don't know how you can argue that when it is literally engraved in stone up and down our East Coast. There's... Bible verses in our monuments and the Jefferson Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument. All these things have Bible verses etched in stone right into those things. Not only that, but you look back at our history. Our Ivy League schools were all started for the furtherance of the Gospel. They've stated that. Princeton, Harvard, Yale, all of them. They're a long way from that now, but they started that way. In fact, in, I think Harvard also, at least in uh, Yale, has it right over the gates on your way in, etched in stone. But our fourth president, he said, is America going to make it or not make it? We're sticking the whole thing in our ability to be independent, to govern ourselves, and that to be done on the foundation of the Ten Commandments. In other words, there's something that that independence is dependent upon, the Ten Commandments, as revealed to us within the Word of God. Also, John Quincy Adams said this. He said the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. From the day of the Declaration, they, being the American people, were bound by the laws of God, which they all, and by the laws of the Gospel, which they nearly all acknowledged as the rules of their conduct. George Washington put it this way, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. In his farewell address, he said, And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience forbid us to expect that a national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. If we think that we're going to maintain a moral and civil society without the foundation of the religious principles that are found within the Word of God, he said, Reason and experience teach us otherwise. John Adams put it this way. He says, We have no government armed with enough power capable of contending with human passions unbridled with morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And so our founding fathers all consented to and promoted the idea that we were determined to have an independence, but that the only way that we could maintain this independence is through a dependency upon the truths revealed to us within the Word of God. The same thing that we see in the Constitution. The Constitution says that we have inalienable rights. Why do we have inalienable rights? Because we are created by this Creator. You see, the foundation of our freedoms is our theology that is rooted in God and in the Bible. As we look at it in this passage, Israel is going into this time, and if they're going to maintain their independence, which they do for quite a while, but they end up being carried off into captivity and losing that independence. See, they've been in bondage to Egypt, and then God delivered them from that, and He brings them over into this place where they'd be independent of man, but not independent of God. But they would give up some of that that, uh, relationship with God and end up back into captivity many, many years later. So they kept her for a while, but here's the deal. America has had this independence for pushing 250 years. How long are we going to keep it? It comes down to the same principles that Moses was stating in Deuteronomy chapter 4, very applicable to the United States of America today. The first thing that we see as we consider this this morning within the book of Deuteronomy is that the Word of God is meant to be learned. So if our independence is dependent upon the Word of God, the first thing we've got to do is learn it. We've got to know what it says. And that's what Moses starts off with. He says... And now, Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I'm teaching you and do them. And he keeps repeating that statement. Listen to this. Listen to that. And he keeps calling them the same thing. Statutes, rules, commandments. 
And the first thing he calls them to do is to, is to learn those things. He says, you need to learn these, these commands that he's given to them before as they've been out in the wilderness. Now he's going to remind them of them again just before they go into the promised land. He tells them, look, listen to this. Learn these things. And you know what? That's exactly what we have to do. We have to continue to listen to the Word of God, read the Word of God, learn the Word of God, preach the Word of God. Why? Because that's, it's a continual reminder of the principles that God expects us to live by, which enable us to have the independence that we have. And as I've said many times over the years on Independence Day, we talk a lot about government authorities and we talk about a lot about political institutions and things like that when we think about the 4th of July. But let me tell you this. It is not as important what's going on in the White House as it is what's going on in your house when we start applying Scripture to life. Do you know why the things that go on in the White House go on in the White House? It's because of what's going on in other people's houses. But we need to see change in America and look for the changes that we are looking for. And we do have some that we want to see happen. It needs to change at our level first. You know, we're the one that put those leaders in office. And if America changes at the grassroots level, America changes in the homes, then that's when America truly changes. Well, what are the things that we need to learn? About halfway through the passage, he points out some of the things that will be gained by us as we commit to listening to and learning the commands and the statutes of God. The first one that he mentions is found in verse 6, and it's wisdom. It says, Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. Isn't it pretty awesome that our forefathers were committed to learning and doing the Word of God? And because of that, we rose up so quickly to the awe of the world to recognize the wisdom that we had just because they simply studied the Word, put it into practice. As we commit ourselves to studying God's Word, then it gives us wisdom beyond our years, wisdom beyond our experience. And you know, experience is often a painful way to learn something. We are so much better off if we learn it in precept rather than in experience. If we learn it by studying God's Word, digging into God's Word, that is a far better thing to point us to the changes that we need, to point us to the things that are dangerous for us to be involved in. That is a far better experience than trying to learn it by taking our lumps. But not only do we gain wisdom, we also gain relationship. In verse 7 he says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? He promises that He'll be there to answer prayer, that He'll be there for us as we call upon Him. And he said, you know what, if you'll commit yourselves to these statutes, to these principles, to these commands, and you're obedient to these, you're going to be shown to be wise because these are wise things to do. You're also going to be shown to be somebody who God is blessing. And that's what as you look back over the history of America, can anybody deny that America has been a blessed nation? We have truly been blessed beyond our abilities to accomplish any of these things on our own. But it has been built upon the foundation of these precepts that God has promised to bless. And then also in verse 8, he points out that righteousness will be one of the results of this as well. It says, And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? You notice through all these principles, it's a comparison. He starts off with wisdom and says, Other people are going to rise up and say, Look at the wisdom. Look at how that nation has excelled beyond others. Look at how that nation just seems to have accrued the blessing of God upon it. Look at that nation with its righteous decrees, its righteous laws. And you know, that's exactly what America has experienced. America has experienced other peoples and other nations rising up and recognizing the greatness of this nation. We see that in our border issues. We've got to put up walls to keep people out so that we have time to see who they are before we let them in. You realize there's other nations that have walls to keep people in? That right there is a testimony into the greatness of the nation. If you've got to put up walls to keep people out rather than put up walls to keep people in, then you're, you're doing something. You've got it pretty good if that's the case. 
You look at all those people that have traveled across nations, across Central America and beyond to come up to become part of this nation and the dangers and the risks that are along the way. How bad would your situation have to be before you would put your family through that kind of a journey and on foot? We've obviously got it pretty good. Throughout history, or our history, which is relatively short, people have recognized that there is something to America that is valuable, that is, that's amazing even. In fact, a French philosopher, and Alexis Charles de Tocqueville, came and he studied America. He was asked afterwards, what was the key to America's success? Why are they doing so well? He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought it in the fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution. It was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. He saw with his own eyes exactly what the Bible tells us is the truth of Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 describes a a person who is committed to the principles of the Word of God. This guy saw a country that was committed to the principles of the Word of God. And he said that's why they're blessed. That's why they're great. Psalm chapter 1 looks at the person and says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Did they? Can you guys say it for me? No, no, no. Come up here. Come up here. Come right up here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Oh, how about we do it at the same time now? Ready? One, one, two, three, go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, so there's Malachi with Psalm 1, Justice with the Echo, and Asher with his greeting. But Psalm 1, what does it tell us? The person that commits themselves to the Word of God, they'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season. If we go the other way, not so much. And that's what de Tocqueville saw when he looked at America. He says, look, America is great because America is good. Its pulpits are aflame. Righteousness is prevailing in America. And that's why it's so good. Psalm 119 is the largest chapter in all the Bible. It's got 176 verses. It's broken up into eight verse segments that coincide with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. Every one of those segments deals with the Word of God. 
the very first one in verses 1 through 8 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And the rest of them are similar. They're dedicated to the understanding and the obedience to the word of God. You know, the Bible teaches us exactly what our forefathers and what the founding fathers of Israel were needing to go through and recognize is that their independence would be dependent upon the principles that are found within the word of God. The first thing that we're called to do is to learn those things. Moses said, listen, learn these principles that I'm teaching you today. These contain the key to your greatness, to our success. Well, not only are we to listen, but also the Word of God is meant to be lived. Notice what it says in verse uh, 1 here. It says, And now Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them. Do them. He's going to keep saying this over and over and over. Do them. In verse 2, he says, Keep the commandments. In verse 5, he says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 6, keep them and do them. Verse 14 says, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them. The beginning of chapter 5, he says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today. You shall learn them and be careful to do them. Almost the end of chapter 5, he says, But you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them. And then chapter 6 does the same thing. He tells them these commands, you need to do them. You need to teach your children. They need to do them. Chapter 7, uh, verse 12, I think it is. He tells them again, you need to, these are the commands and statutes. You need to do them. You get all the way up to chapters 26, 28, 29. He's still focused on it. Now he's toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. He's still telling them, look, these principles, you need to do these. You need to put these into action. The very last one, Deuteronomy 29, verse 9, says, therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. The Word of God is intended to be learned and it's also intended to be lived. Very soon, Moses is going to be off the stage. He's going to be up in heaven with God and Joshua is going to take over as the leader that would guide Israel into the Promised Land. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So Joshua's about to, he takes over for Moses, going to lead this great people into the promised land. God tells him, look, just follow the rules, just follow the book, and you'll be okay. You'll be more than okay, you'll be prosperous. You know, the New Testament tells us the same thing. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 and following, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, the New Testament tells us the same thing. You want to be successful in your Christian life. You want to be blessed by God. Follow the book. Don't be like that person that looks at your face in a mask, sees the things that need to be fixed, and then turns around, walks away, and forgets all about it. You see, Christianity isn't about having devotions. It's about being devoted. There's a difference. Having devotions means you sit down and read it, and you get up and go about your business. 
being devoted means you sit down and you read it and then all day long it's stuck in your mind and you're thinking about it as you go through life and you're thinking, well, how do I apply that to this situation? How do I apply it to that situation? You see, Psalm 1 said that's when we're like that tree planted by the rivers. You see, Moses is telling the children of Israel that's when you'll prosper as a nation. God's saying the same thing to America today. That's when you prosper America. Now, there's a couple different ways that he points out that we need to be doing it. The first one is consistently. Because in verse 2, he tells them this. He says, don't take away from it and don't add to it. We're not allowed to just pick and choose the ones that are more palatable to us. You know, that's one of the reasons that I discipline myself to preach through books of the Bible. Because it forces me to deal with every subject there is. Because I'm like anybody else. I could just pick about what I want to preach about all the time. There are some things that would be my favorites that you would hear from uh, about an awful lot. And there were other things that are just kind of in between. And you'd hear about those sometimes. And there's other things that I just really don't like to talk about. And so you probably wouldn't hear about those at all. But the thing is, you need to hear about those. And, and I need to hear about those. And I need to have to study those. And so that's why I like preaching through books. Those things that we're uncomfortable with, we need to deal with. Things that we should be doing, but it just, I don't, I just, we need to do them. It's within our human nature to kind of pick the things that we like and ignore the other things. And we need to rise above that part of our nature. And that's what he tells them here. You can't leave out some things. And you know what? You're not allowed to add anything in either. But not only do we do it consistently, we're to do it continually. In verse 9, it says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Now, he just told them a couple of things that they've seen. He says, one of the things that you've seen is, remember when Israel became unfaithful and worshipped Baal of Peor? That's in Numbers 25. 24,000 people died because of that. And then he also says, remember what you saw when God came down on the mountain and it was covered with a cloud and you heard the voice of God speak to Moses and speak to the assembly? Remember what you saw there? Now he's saying, look, You need to keep your heart diligently lest you forget those things that you've seen. These are what we need to be doing, O Christian. We need to be studying. We need to be learning the commandments of God. And we need to be doing those commandments. And then finally, we see also that the Word of God is meant to be shared. We brushed on it a little bit because where he talks about your wisdom will be seen by other nations, by other peoples, and they'll they'll be curious. And you get a chance to share the Word of God. But not only that, not only does it share it that way, but it also uh, deals with it with, your, with our kids. Because he says, make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God, and then it recounts that time back at the mountain again. And so he says, look, the things that you've seen, the things that you've experienced in your walk with Christ, in your walk with God, you need to share those with your kids. You know, that was a big part of uh, uh, the beginning of our nation. A big part of why America is here today is to spread the gospel to the world. Did you know that? In Christopher Columbus, he, he made this statement. He said, maps did not guide me. I was guided by the Holy Spirit because the gospel of Christ must be preached in so many lands in such a short time. Why was his trip successful? Why did he find the new land? He said, I found it because the gospel needs to get spread. That's why I, needed to, that's why I found it. You know, when Christopher Columbus landed, he took a cross and he planted it in the sand on the shore. A cross. Now think about that. When they discover a new place, what do they plant in the ground? The flag. He didn't plant a flag of any nation. He planted the cross in the sand. And where he landed was down in San Salvador, which he also named. And San Salvador means Holy Savior. Up and down the east coast of the United States, you find the same thing. St. Augustine claimed for Christ. Jamestown claimed for Christ. Again, a cross planted in the sand. At Plymouth, you find the Mayflower Compact 
Before they even got on shore, they made a pact together. It says, in the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread and sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, King, defender of the faith, and having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And this is why we made the journey. We made the journey for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then also for king and country kind of a thing. He says, that is why we're doing it. Our nation is here to begin with because there's one more land where the gospel needed to spread. That's America's beginning. What about America's present? Well, America's present is based on the same thing that America's past was based on. The ability of our people to learn the Word of God, to do it, and to share it with others. If we're effective in that, then it seems that American... America can do no less than just to be blessed by God. If we fail to do that, then I think America would go the way that's described in the Bible, the way that anybody goes who ignores those commands and those precepts of God. But for me, I'm thankful to be part of a nation with uh, rich heritage, and I'm thankful for the challenge to do exactly what lay before the Israelites back in Deuteronomy, that lay before our forefathers at the beginning of this great nation, and lays before us today.